Big Rab Show podcast is kindly sponsored by G1 Reads. They are the champion's choice, with many bands around the world playing G1 products, including two-time world champions in Vararian District. So check out g1reads.com as they keep the lights on here on the Big Rab Show podcast. Hello there everyone and welcome to another Big Rab Show podcast and we wish you all a happy new year. Happy new year. Yeah, can you believe it? 2022 is here and the promise of a new season ahead of us. Oh man, it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, Now, as you can guess, I suppose, by the change in sound quality and stuff, yes, ourselves on the Big Rab Show team, we're still on our holidays. Yeah, I know. This last couple of podcasts that we've done for you guys have been pre-recorded ahead of the holidays uh, because us and the Big Rab Show team are taking a bit of a break. Yeah. But at the same time, we didn't want to leave you guys without any podcasts or anything happening for that matter on the show. So, yeah, this has been pre-recorded ahead of time. The magic of radio, I suppose. But there you go. I hope you've managed to enjoy the last couple of podcasts. Actually, you know, quite a huge interview with Glenfiddich champion Jack Lee. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you didn't manage to catch that episode, by the way, go back have a listen to it. It's quite an incredible interview. And also the video from that interview is up now on our YouTube channel as well. And don't forget last week's podcast as well, where we get chatting to, well, the voice of the worlds, I suppose, Bob Warhol. <laughs> wow, what an awesome episode that was. Seriously, what a pleasure to chat to Bob Warhol. And uh, yeah, if you missed that episode, then go back and have a listen to it. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. And the video of that interview as well is up on our YouTube channel as well. Now, as you may have guessed, the title of this week's episode kind of gives it away as to what we're up to this week. Um, But we'll get into that in a second or two. But first of all, let's do the formal introduction, shall we? Yes, if this is your first ever Big Rab Show podcast, then you're very welcome. We are the show for the bagpiping folk, reflecting everything in the bagpiping world, be it Celtic music, folk music, or competitive piping and drumming. Each and every week, we talk about the music of the Great Highland Bagpipe and its people. And yeah, we would ask you guys to help share the show with your mates, and let them all know what we're doing over here. Yeah, <clears throat> sometimes we are that strange little show that continues on, regardless, and uh, just chirping on about bagpiping all the time. We're that little niche, weird podcast that never shuts up about bagpipes. But hi, we think you guys enjoy it because we enjoy making it. So there you go. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> now with each and every podcast we do have listener mail, weekly drone, word of the week, all that sort of stuff, but you've guessed it, because we're currently on our break, we're on hiatus at the moment, and uh, yeah, we don't have any of those this week, unfortunately, but do not worry, like I've promised before in previous podcasts, normal service will resume next week. This is the final week of our holidays, by the way. So yeah, we're back at it again next week on the pod. So yeah, business as usual next week. So for those of you who are tuning in for all the news and updates and listener mail and all that stuff, that'll be on next week's podcast. We'll have a lot to catch up on next week. But uh, yeah, if you are so interested to find out what is going on in the piping scene right now, then definitely consider checking us out on our Facebook page, our Twitter all of that sort of stuff, all the usual social media type of outlets. We will be continuing to keep those going 
and uh, <clears throat> yeah, trying to keep you guys as updated as possible throughout the holiday season, uh, even though they're behind us now. Anyway, with that in mind, I have to keep mentioning this with each show, but seriously, I do know a lot of you folks that didn't actually manage to pick up a copy over the holidays, and you may well be wanting to have a look at it. That is Finding Bagpipe Freedom. Yes, I know, I mention it with every show, you're probably probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but honestly, this book is quite incredible, and especially over the past couple of weeks actually, now that I've been on a break and I've had time to look at it, I've been delving back into some of the chapters again that's been really helping me with my own plan. More so, kind of my practice, more than anything else. It's kind of really affected that. You know, it used to be I went into it blindly, without really having a plan, just sitting in front of the telly and not really thinking about what I'm doing and just kind of going through the motions. But this book, honestly, has really quite affected my own personal practice. So I could recommend it to you guys for sure. Yeah, you'll definitely get results from it. So there you go. Um, Definitely go and consider it. So go and have a look at it. Find him Bagpipe Freedom. And of course, by listening to the podcast, if you use our promotion code, you'll get money off at the checkout. So our promo code is BIGRAB. Yeah. Now, there's a little tiny blue button at the bottom of the checkout page uh, that has got a promo code with a question mark. It's very hard to find, actually, unless you're really looking for it. But yeah, keep an eye out for it. And if you do see it, then be sure to type in our code and you'll get money off just by listening to the pod. There you are. So, guys, yes, as you guessed it, by the title of this week's episode, and again, no, it's not clickbait. This actually happened. (laughs) I still can't believe it. Like, Like, I don't know. We had interviews with Jack Lee, Bob Worrell, and now we have an incredible interview with Pipe Major Rob Matheson. Oh my god. Yeah, I have been a fan of Rob Matheson since I can't remember. It's yeah. I don't know. And be prepared. During this interview, I'm more than a little starstruck. And uh I am absolutely positive I have stumbled over my words at least a dozen times. Uh, but through the miracle of editing, I might sound a little bit more clever than what I actually was. <clears throat> the magic of radio again. But uh, yeah, honestly, what an incredible interview I have for on this week's podcast for you guys. I really can't wait to get into it. So without further ado, then, I think it's time for me to go and get a big cup of tea. It's time for the topic of the week. Having launched the Regimental Series in March 2019 and the Axial series in August of the same year, the British Drum Company were firing on all cylinders. That was until the world was hit by a global pandemic and they were forced by the government to stop production, close the doors and lock up the factory. In May this year, they reopened their doors and the production lines started to flow again. The company is as busy as ever and are happily back making shells filing snare beds by hand and polishing drums prior to dispatch. If your corps is looking for a new set of drums, then don't hesitate to get in touch with their marching department for more information. Don't forget, tours are available for all leading drummers on their corps. The British Drum Company. Look amazing, sound amazing, feel amazing. McClellan Bagpipes by North Carolina artisan bagpipe maker Roddy McClellan from Euston, Scotland. They don't strive to be the biggest, fastest or the cheapest. They do, however, meticulously craft a small number of warm and stable sounding instruments of heirloom quality. 
Roddy has followed this philosophy for over 30 years and continues to evolve with innovations like the Elevation Chanter. Designed with North American bands in mind, providing a lower pitch, rich harmonics and strong, clear projection, Elevation Chanters provide a stable platform for a thick band sound. Check out bespokebagpipes.com for more information. McLennan Bagpipes, born in Scotland, made in the USA. Wallace Bagpipes. Quality, pride and passion. Made in Scotland. Proud bagpipe supplier to the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Visit wallacebagpipes.com for more information or contact your nearest dealer. Ah, yes, it's a brand new year and a brand new cup of tea, actually. I'm trying a new brand of tea and uh, no, not for me. Uh, do you know that sometimes that happens whenever Christmas comes around and you get gifts bought to you and you think, oh, Rob likes tea. I'll buy him some new tea for Christmas. He'll like that. And then you, you get some weird exotic stuff that you've never had at all in your life. And uh, um, no. No, but then how do you be nice to the person afterwards and say, "Hi, hey, see that tea you bought me? It was, uh, it was lovely." Mm, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, you have to do that weird thing, don't you, where you're telling everybody that that, that gift you bought me was class, but it uh, turned out that the tea tasted like tar. But there you are. Yep. To whoever bought me that tea, by the way, apologies. <laughs> but I'm sure some of you guys out there too got some gifts over the holidays that you weren't too impressed with. But hey, there you go. So this week's uh, cup of tea, nah, nah, not for me. Yeah, I'll have to go back to my old faithful for next week. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, like I did say, normal service will resume next week. Anyway, Rab, stop wibbling on. Let's get into this week's topic, shall we? Yes, like I said, I am an absolute huge fan of our next guest that we have on the pod. And uh, even from the album The Big Burl, and even before then, I have been an absolute fan of this upcoming guest so be please be patient with me i am more than a little starstruck <sighs> yeah <laughs> please welcome to the podcast i can't believe i'm saying this <laughs> can't believe I, yeah i can't believe i'm saying this welcome to the podcast pipe major robert matheson so welcome to the podcast quite a notable figure from the piping scene if you don't mind me saying welcome to robert matheson how are you i'm doing very well thank you for the invite onto the big rap show Indeed, and I have to say, Happy New Year to you as well, because as this goes out, we're now celebrating 2022. It's going to be quite an exciting year, Robert, isn't it? Well, hopefully uh, a, a year where we'll hear many live performances. Aye, indeed. In a long time. Yeah, oh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, as the rest of the interview goes. But uh, yeah, first of all, I want to talk about yourself personally. Now, we all know you as being quite a legendary pipe major and piper in the piping scene for generations. And I want to know how you got your start. What made you lift the instrument in the first place? Oh, right. Okay. Well, it started off really from primary school, the kind of the last year in primary school, when you come to the end of term and mm. the teacher allows you to bring in games or you can, you know, and there was a, a, a guy in the class uh my friend in the class who brought in a practice chanter and oh. I had a go at it and I thought I would really like to have a go at this and I went to learn at, at uh, Polkemet 
Whitrig and Paul oh, Kemba, it was called then. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't realise it was actually the bagpipes. I thought the practice chanter was the thing that you were going to play. And oh. they actually taught on a different night from the pipe band. So mm. it was several months down the road before I even realised it was the bagpipes. I was well into it. And, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to play the bagpipes because I quite liked this practice chanter. But anyhow... Mm. And it was it was a very long journey in the practice chanter. I was I was like eighteen months to two years in practice chanter, so it was slow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But it was a very very methodical style of tuition. There was no tunes. You didn't get a tune for about six months. You know, you no, really? yeah. no insight to me- melody. It was all a technical strategy and learning all the embellishments and all that, which I'm, mm. I'm glad of now. But you wouldn't get away with that style of teaching nowadays. Um, but once I got into the pipes, things moved very, very fast. I, I was slow in the practice chanter, possibly because of the methodology methodology they used to the methodology they used to teach. Um but uh, I'm thankful for it now. I see. Because you had that grounding then really with all of those fundamentals, by the time you bring them across onto pipes then it was all smooth sailing then really, was it? Well I was technically fluent. Yeah. I just had to learn about the music and, and, and the actual physical presentation of working with bagpipes which is a big yeah. hurdle for a lot of people some people actually don't overcome that obstacle right through their piping career you know no oh, that's i'm still overcoming it myself and my own piping i've been learning this past year and a bit now and making that jump from chanter to pipes it's a whole different animal really controlling your blowing yeah. and all of and, that and you've, you've got the added advantage you're rhythmical uh, sometimes yeah <laughs> sometimes beginner pipers are taught all the embellishments uh, and, and and then they jump onto the pipes and the, the, uh, to try and play a bit of a tune, but they weren't actually taught rhythmic fluency, uh, right. body language and how to move and how, uh, basically how to walk and play becomes a major obstacle. Um, yeah. And I think it's better nowadays, but we, were, we weren't good at teaching rhythmic and understanding of rhythm and, and, and rhythmic fluency on the practice chanter. Mm. Um, you should maybe be told to march when you're playing a practice chanter, so you understand, you know, the, the actual forward motion of the music. You know? Yeah, yeah, where the steps fall and how the music yeah. flows because of it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I did think that it was a bit of an advantage, you know, being a drummer for 30 years and then lifting this chanter. Uh, God help Andrew Shilladay has had to teach me. He's had to translate everything from Piper language into drummer language. But we're, we're getting there. <laughs> Keep going. Don't give up. Keep going. <laughs> so can I ask then, obviously, your time then with Polkemet bands, you guys, you know, you were in the stratosphere, you know, around the late 80s. I remember you guys being incredible and being ahead of your time almost for some of your compositions. Was that something that you worked at in your time at Polkemet, you know, creating your own voice? Yeah, I, I suppose... Uh... Personally, I was always involved in listening to folk music and I love going mm. to Brittany and I, I like Galician music and all that. So personally, I was I was fairly attuned to a much broader spectrum of, of uh, traditional music. Yeah. Um, so when it came to running the band, and at that time I was putting together material for the first solo album as well, mm-hmm. so it kind of overspilled into the band. And, and I just intuitively, I, I tried to put some of this music into the band and we had such a great drum corps it would be crazy not to incorporate you know them into the groove as well as and once uh, Jim Kilpatrick was great at understanding what I was trying to do rhythmically with some of the Breton stuff and, and some of the more open groove reels and stuff like that which weren't really getting played in bands at that time uh, no. and once we kind of got into the groove with that it, it flourished and, and, and become it actually became a bit of our brand in the early days 
certainly did, yeah. And if anything, I hope you don't mind me saying, but whenever you made the jump into shots, I think it was 87, I think it was chatting to you before we hit the record button, 87, when you made that jump to shots, you certainly brought your voice with you, you know, and that progressive look towards the music certainly brought that flavor to shots. And uh, is that something that you and Jim like worked on a lot to get it put together? Um, I don't think it was deliberately planned. It just kind of mm. evolved. In 87, I had just recorded, uh, I was just recording um, the Grace Notes album. So I was working a lot with musicians from, would become Capper Cayley, Donald Shaw was there, uh, yes. Jim Sutherland of Easy Club, mm. um, John Martin of Ossian. We're all working on the album. So I was really getting steeped into the, the, the musicality of things at that time. Uh, and then, Stupidly, as Pipe Major, I took on the band and decided to do the Ballymena concert in the first year. <laughs> Which, thinking back, that must have been one of the craziest decisions I ever made. But one thing it did do, it, it meant we launched into a workload straight away and we yeah. had to be ready in one year. Uh, and, and we actually, uh, you know, when I went to show us, the, the first year we'd done the Radical Road concert, you know, um, off the back of working with these musicians and we brought them over for the concert so I suppose that that kind of threw shots straight into this musical genre right from the get go yeah that's it and it became the new normal I suppose for everyone in the band yeah well so, not immediately I mean there, there, there yeah. was a bit of resistance in some quarters to, to hearing it because right uh, like anything a lot of the stuff we overcooked at times and uh, like any art form if you're trying to do something new or something different you tend to go too far and then come back and harness it a little bit. So there's probably an element of that in it as well, but it, but it was a great musical journey for sure. Oh, definitely. And one that's been really enjoyable as a fan, for sure, I have to say. Now, you did mention earlier about playing rhythmically, and you did mention about you know working along with drum corps and everything, and we all know that Jim is quite a legendary figure in the drumming scene. When you guys you know look at ensemble and everything, is that something that you and Jim work together to create? Yeah, I, I, I would say we, we always wanted to understand what each other was doing. Mm. I took a great interest in the in the uh, the music, and and I would take a great interest in the rhythmical uh, accompaniment as well. And, and and also, I would generally have a, a rough idea of the, the the groove or the feel of the tune that I felt. Mm. And uh, I, what I always tried to avoid was if I selected a tune, and I felt there was a natural rhythmic feel to it. Mm. I didn't want to hand it to Jim without letting him know where if how I felt that tune should be presented rhythmically yeah. so that he could had something to work to. Otherwise, he could have come back with something that was brilliant, but maybe in a different oh, approach, yeah. which might not have suited the way I was teaching it in the pipes. So, yeah, we, we were aware of that all the time. But by the same token, if I played a tune and I let Jim hear the tune, if he wasn't keen on the tune, I, I mm. didn't, didn't play it. There was no point. I mean, no matter I how much it, I yeah. liked it, I thought there's no point, because if he's not into this, it's not going to work. And, and And sometimes I feel... I hear bands playing modern compositions that are very good, but pipes and drums coming from different directions and and maybe not ending up with the result they thought they were going to get. You know, yeah. um, a lot of modern tunes are rhythmically driven yes. and intrinsically have a, an inherent rhythmical pattern in there, a default position that makes the tune talk. Mm. And sometimes when drum corps try to put all their rudimentary stuff in and the pipe could do the same, you lose that rhythmic message. 
Indeed, you lose the voice then. I know exactly what you're talking about. If anything, that's something I wanted to ask you about because I know, obviously, you've been a judge for a good number of years now in judging ensemble as well as piping. So when it comes to ensemble and having the piping end and drumming end trying to, you know, create this performance, is there any common mistakes that you've noticed with bands when trying to create a good ensemble performance? Yeah, I would say the the structural pattern of a lot of the traditional element of, of a bagpipe music and pipe band music, you, you have the, the melodic theme in the first part and then you have a, generally a top hand variation in the second part and then a more embroidered rhythmic version of the first part becomes the third part and, and then you get a, an echo of the second part and the last part with a a resolve at the end. I mean, that, that, that's, I'm generalising, but that's basically the structure of many, many pipe tunes. Now, to make ensemble work, if we're saying that the third part is, is in the piping, for example, is much more embroidered with the embellishments, more mm-hmm. technically difficult and generally more complicated melodically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very often I hear drum corps mirroring exactly that, playing a simple theme in the first part, a mm-hmm. variation in the second part, and then embroidering the theme in the second part and doing exactly the same yes. as the pipe corps are doing it, running parallel in terms of the technical content. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can overcrowd the tune as it goes on and you actually lose the melodic flow and the mood of the tune. Yeah. And, and, and very often... To, to make the, the the melody and the technical side of the piping come to the fore, the drumming needs to be simplified. I see. So sometimes less is more, Robert? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there'll be certain parts of the tunes where you want the drum core to come to the front yes. and the rhythm and it becomes the dominant element. And other times where a very complicated technical part of the, the melody mm-hmm. needs to be heard, so don't overcrowd it with overcomplicated drumming in the same phrase, you know. Indeed, uh, yeah. And, and it, it loses its flow and can sometimes lose the idiom because people are pronouncing their embellishments so cleanly and trying going for unison that the, the actual musical idiom dilutes. Yes. Um, and I think that is where sometimes drum corps and pipe corps forget that what is happening to the overall message here when I do this with the drumming or when, when you do this with the piping yeah. it's slightly I find it easier to get good ensemble when I played my own compositions because you could actually customise it for the ensemble oh I see yeah tweak it in little places to make it yeah, yeah, and sound could, correct yeah sometimes if Jim done a particular thing during the for example, when we're putting a piece of music together if I heard something that I liked whether it was a syncopation or, or a, a you know, a, a little figure within mm. within the rhythm. I would go back and possibly change a bit of the tune to echo that figure in the earlier part, so that it becomes you're sending oh, the message yes. before it happened, or I'd, I'd incorporate that syncopation into the repeat or something like that. You know, so that there's a it's more an, an overall design. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so you you can tweak little bits here and there to create call and answers and effects like that. So that's fascinating, honestly. So we do know at the moment, obviously, there's a lot of pipe majors out there that are prepping for the new season. I may well be listening to the pod right now thinking, I'm trying to get this medley together. And ensemble is a bit of a nightmare to consider. You know, some pipe majors never think about drumming and how it melds with the tunes. So have you any advice really for pipe majors out there when they have to speak to their drummers? You know, those guys in the back room who are a wee bit smelly and constantly drumming all the time. 
Well, <laughs> uh, the one thing right across the board that I would say in, in all the grades that, that, that is often overlooked is, is the dynamic range that the drum corps can create within yes. the melody. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I listen to drum corps practicing, they spend a lot of time on dynamics mm. and, and deciding that they could spend, I've listened to drum corps spend an hour on a, a, a two bar phrase discussing the dynamics and getting the message into everybody that this is heavy, this is light, this push yes. through this, sit back on this. But these are all micro dynamics. There's no landscape dynamics. And by landscape dynamics, uh, when I hear an aggressive hornpipe, I expect a strong, aggressive rhythmic accompaniment that's sending that aggression or or the the kind of strong rhythmic message of a march pipe or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And then they will go into a tune where it's a strong melody and it's more melancholy or whatever, but I still hear this aggressive drum corps. The mood doesn't change in the drum corps. And the weighting doesn't change. I hear the same kind of powerhouse drumming. Mm. So I, I, I don't hear a... A, a contrast in dynamics from the mood of one tune to the mood of the next tune. Yes. I, I, I hear them constantly trying to demonstrate how good technically they are in every tune, mm-hmm. which, which doesn't work well. And sometimes that approach strengthens a tune, but a different type of tune, it weakens the message. So, so you, you kind of got an evening out, it evens out over the whole medley where, where you hear this powerhouse drum corps yes. constantly trying to attract your attention by technical precision and, and, and powerful dynamics mm-hmm. when the tune's not asking for that. Uh, so there's no landscape change between the first tune, the second tune, the third tune. Uh, and yeah. I hear that in bass sections as well. One of the questions I would always ask our bass drummer in the band is, where do you think the loudest beat in the medley is? Oh, I see. That's an interesting question, actually. Yeah. And, and they would kind of look at me and say, oh, no. Not generally they would say, no, there's loads of maybe... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's because you give me one big heavy beat, one thump, and then a light, and that's your your mm. your, your palette is limited. Whereas I see a point in the medley mm. where there's a peak, and that should be your heaviest beat. And if that I is see. your heaviest beat, you need to leave something so that you can deliver that up oh. there. So, so I, I think dynamic range is the big area that is underutilized in every grade. Oh, certainly. And we do know in your time at Shots, you have had some iconic medley performances that do take you on that journey. And that's really interesting that you mentioned that about the one heavy beat, because I do know in some medleys over the years from you guys, there is that point. And oh, that's fantastic. So good advice there, Robert. Thank you. There's also an element where, especially moving through this kind of 20 years of horn pipes and, and march pipes kind of with yes. that kind of gallus swing and the four-parted thing where you're demonstrating great technical ability mm. powerhouse strumming uh, and you know um, a kind of gallus arrogance about the whole thing yeah. now very often you're you're playing your whole hand in that one tune you've given everything away you have nothing else to offer for the next five minutes you know so yes. <laughs> subtlety needs to be incorporated and periods of silence which is the strongest accent you can create for a drum corps, mm. uh, I would say subtlety and periods of silence need to be incorporated in the first half of the medley so that you've got something else to deliver towards the end. Sometimes I've heard the whole gambit and we're not finished the first tune. I see. Yeah, it's all within the introduction, really. So it's all about creating that crescendo, I... isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's <clears throat> sound advice there for sure, yeah. So can I ask then, <clears throat> away from ensemble and all that, I could be talking to you about this, you know, for hours. <laughs> but I've got a load more questions to get through. So okay. can I ask you then about 
whenever your time at shots ended and you had walked away, you then went to Simon Fraser. Is that right for a few seasons? I played with Simon Fraser for three years, mm. uh, three seasons, which was really nice. I, um, uh, I had retired as pipe major and, and I felt I still had a little bit of playing left in me, and, but mm. I didn't necessarily want to be pipe major. Um, I, I didn't want, and I wanted the new pipe major to carry on without me breathing down his neck. So it was decided, we tried to find a role for me in it, but it was never going to work. So I, I bowed out. Um, and then spoke to Terry Lee and Terry said, you fancy a tune? And I thought, that might be quite nice because <laughs> the, the advantages there were I was playing in a new circuit of contests over mm. in Vancouver yeah. and I decided I would only join the band if I could be a, a member of the band and, and attend quite a few yeah. contests and gigs. I didn't want to be the fly-in guy just for the Canadian Championship or whatever and the Worlds yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I done that and thoroughly enjoyed it. it, and it was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Oh, how come? Because, because for the first time in my life, I had to learn a different style. Oh, I see. Yeah. And blend in, which wasn't that over difficult, but I had to focus on it. Mm. Uh, and also, I had to play tunes where the setting was prescribed, and I had to stick oh. to it. Whereas yeah. after thirty years of me deciding. We'll not have that grace note in the third part. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I had to go along with somebody else's score. So that was a bit of work to to, uh, yeah. to deliver on that. But I thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and I played at the gigs, and I, I went over fairly regular. Uh, and I didn't really have an appetite at that time to play again shots week in, week out in another band. Yeah, aye. So, oh. so going to another continent and playing was, was really ticked all the boxes for me it suited perfectly yeah that's it so can I ask then also as well as being involved with Simon Fraser and all of that you're also involved with the Red Hot Chilies for a period of time and do you still play with the Chilies every now and again I, I don't know no, no? I, uh, yeah, I think I was going through a midlife crisis and <laughs> he asked me if I'd have a tune with him uh, <laughs> and I, I'd done a few gigs yeah. and then we uh I'd done a tour of China with them and done a month in China. Oh wow! How was that? That was that was brilliant. I mean, it was it was gigging yeah. every night and really really good. Uh, I, I, mm. And I have to say that it was different from playing in a competition, dancing about a stage, and jumping around yeah. playing fun tunes to an audience <laughs> that were clapping and, and not analysing what you're doing. So it was quite good. That's, I dare say that would be a lot of fun. I've chatting to the guys that's in the Chili's, They just say it's ridiculously good fun. You know, and yeah. you can tell whenever they're on stage that they're enjoying themselves. Absolutely. So there you go. Uh, so can I can I just blame you for something? By the way, I'm going to shake my finger at you right now because you're the guy who's responsible for my newfound love in Breton music. Um, since I heard the album La Bombe Cost by Shots, that was the first time I'd ever heard a bombard, and I. Was, what what the heck is this sound? Where is this coming from? Yeah. I was expecting to hear a Shots album, and then suddenly, whoa, there was all of this. Can you tell me how all of that came about, Robert? Well, I had been going to Brittany since the early 80s, and, and I think I won the McAllen Trophy in 1984, and, and then again in the later 80s. So I was very mm. into Breton music, and won the Breton music, which was great for me. That was, that was probably one of my biggest moments in piping, actually winning Breton music in the McAllen Trophy. Yeah. Uh, but the I, I was really into the music. I loved the kind of medieval sound of the... Uh, mm. The bombards, as well as you say, I got friendly with Erwin Roper, 
who was at that oh. time he's passed away. He was he was the pipe major of the uh, Camp Air Band. Camp Air Band, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just loved the music. I mean, and, and we, I went a few times with Bokema. I went a few times with Shots. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, and I, I just loved the the. the the drama and the dynamics that they produced that the Baghdad produces. And yeah. I think we could learn a lot from that when we hear that. They have a, a greater palette of instruments to work from, I get that. Yeah. But uh, a lot of the principles can apply to our music as well. Certainly, yeah. And if anything, in recent years, we've heard a lot of competitive bands bringing Breton-style music into their competitive sets. I think that I am all for it. You know, the more of that, the more the happier I am. Is that how you feel really about, you know, the melding of the two worlds together? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to hear a complete Breton medley or anything no, like that. No. But I, I think um, borrowing mm. styles and techniques and melodic lines and tunes from other genres is, is very healthy. And, and we're seeing a lot of that. Um, yeah. Well, we have done for many, many years. I mean, the, the accordion and, and tune list and, and the pipe tune list has always had a kind of crossover there where we, we yes. take tunes from each other. And uh, the folk music as well uh, is another area where we can get good music and mm. improve our repertoire. So Brittany is um, another area, but I would say you have to be careful. Uh, you can get so absorbed in the Breton music. Yeah, you can. <laughs> that you understand it more than many of the listeners do. Um, right, yes. And, and, and in that sense, it's a bit kind of, uh, it can be a bit self-indulgent because some of the tunes go on and on and on in yeah. terms of the big long dances. It's a bit like Peabrock. Sometimes when you hear Peabrock, it's beautiful, but you think in some cases the performers enjoying, enjoying it more than the listener. Yes. You know, uh, uh, unless you're in the zone and you're hearing the whole thing. Brit music can be a bit like that if you overload mm. it. But touches of it, and it's usually minor key stuff, that, that, that the dark notes that work very well in the, exactly. in the Scottish medleys. Uh, and uh, the fact that we now have some great um, Breton Highland bagpipers that come over and, and, and compete in Scotland, we're getting good crossover uh, and people picking out uh, mm. elements of each in a, a tasteful way, which is great. Oh, definitely. I'm all for it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, again, I shake my finger. It's 100% your fault that I'm a fan of Breton music. So there you go. <laughs> so can I get away from kind of all the tune selection and band talk? I want to actually hear more about the guy, the man behind the legend, if you, if you, if you know what I mean. Can I ask then, what do you eat the morning of a big competition? This is a bit of a random question. <laughs> what, what do I? What did you eat in the morning of the world? You know, are you a square sausage man? Are you, you know, a bacon roll kind of guy? I would say, but I would prefer to do that at the park. I mean, if it was the day of a big contest, mm. I would rather get there and then I'm ready to eat. You know, oh, I um, yeah. arriving at the venue <laughs> is the first hurdle that you have to overcome. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, there's nothing better than arriving at the morning of the world and going and get that big bacon roll and just wandering around the parks. Trying to That's imagine it. how, how it's going to be later in the day. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So we do know. I think it's it. Reed Maxwell. I think is famously quoted that he has to have haggis for breakfast in the morning. In other words, <laughs> I don't know why. It's a bit of a superstition with him. But there you go. Yeah, I have to ask then. Uh, outside of piping and all of it, have you any interests outside of piping? Do you play golf at all, or you know? No, I, I don't. I actually live here on, on the golf course in Fort Aventura. Oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. I'm not a, a golfer as such. I, I, hmm. 
Well, if I describe how it would be at golf, it's when you meet that piper who's not very, very good, but they've got the silver-mounted David Nile pipes and, and the, right. the V1 chanter and, oh, and, yeah. and, the, and the kilt centre kilt, plug, plug. <laughs> and and they've, they've got all the gear, and then you hear about the cannot play. I would be that golfer. you know. I'd be the guy that had all the gear but couldn't hit a ball. So uh, <laughs> the um, I, 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 my, my hobby is art, I paint. Uh, I see. Ah. I originally went to Edinburgh Art School, so... Uh, as a silversmith, but I've, since uh, ceasing being pipe major, I've done a bit more uh, artwork and painting. I see. Excellent. And if anything, it can be really relaxing for a lot of folks. Yeah, for sure. So, Well, I, I actually joined the art club the week mm. after I gave up the pipe majorship. Because wow. if you think yeah. that um, after 30 years of coming home every night from practice... Mm. Uh, and you're saying, honey, I'm home. You came home that last night and says, honey, I'm home forever. You know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a few raised eyebrows in the house at that point. So, because you're out several nights a week, you know, yeah. for the last three decades. So I, I, I went to the art club and, and that's what kind of resurrected my... Uh, painting and that so they are fantastic well you did mention a little plug there for the kilt center but i'm going to give it an even better plug so (laughs) for people who don't know you do run your own business called the kilt center so we're now looking at the the website now that's just the kiltcenter.com and you guys cover everything to do with uh, uniforms and kilts and jackets and everything you want to tell us a bit about the business here well the, the business was set up so that I could incorporate my hobby into my, <laughs> my income see, as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I originally had a sales job and, and I, I got promotion and they wanted to move, me to move down south and mm-hmm. I knew that was never going to work uh, because all my social and musical venues were in Scotland. So I thought, yes. what are we going to do? So I left my job and we set up the Kilt Centre in 1993. It was called the Pipe Box in those days. Uh, mm. And one of the things that I quite enjoyed about it was I managed to incorporate my hobby of art and design into the work as well. So I spent a lot of time designing kilts and tartans. We do a lot of customised kilts for bands and for local Mm. authorities. And The the biggest successful one would be the the saltire kilt with the flag on the back within the pleats. Oh, yes, I've seen that, yeah. Which was there. We copyrighted that design, and uh, that's probably our biggest selling kilt. Long Fantastic. Over the years. And now we've done this range that you see just now of tartan tweeds. So I, mm-hmm. I quite liked that. It was letting me do a bit of art and design and earn some money and stay in the kind of pipe band scene. So that's how the Kilt Centre came about. There you go. And if, if anything, I've been on this website now for quite a number of weeks and I've just been delving through here. There's a serious amount on here. You have a massive collection that I think you can't really do it in one visit. It takes you a while to get through your site. So yeah, there's a wealth of stuff up here. So for folks who aren't aware, then go and check it out, thekiltcenter.com. Yeah, you'll be lost in there for hours, <laughs> for sure. So, well, obviously, I have to ask you then, with the pandemic and everything, tuition and piping has mostly been brought online because of it. You know, we've all had to go into isolation and lockdowns and stuff. And you've been quite busy then with the Piper's Dojo, doing a lot of tuition and stuff like that. How have you found tuition and piping over lockdown and pandemic, Robert? Well, it certainly catapulted the whole scene forward in terms of the digital era. Yeah, because, for sure. Uh, I was also involved in the Balmoral schools, where and 
That's they suddenly right, yeah. had to go online kind of overnight. Mm. Uh, Dojo were very much IT fluent as a product anyway. You know, they, they, they were yeah. an IT company. Um, but certainly you had to look at it differently. I mean, th there are pluses and minuses to the uh, online teaching. The nice mm. thing is when you sign up, to Dojo, for example, you can go back into the archives and, and go over the lesson again and, and, and also yeah. hear yourself. So, sometimes when, when you're uh, teaching somebody, you say something to them and they play it back and, and you can sense that they're, they're not quite understanding what you're saying when you're describing how they're playing it mm. versus how you would like them to play it. But when you go back and hear the recording, sometimes the penny drops and you say, oh, I see what I'm doing now. You know, yeah. so, so there's great advantages in that for, for the online side mm -hmm. in terms of teaching. But the biggest thing I find about the lockdown in terms of online is I've suddenly seen a change of uh, appreciation between musicians within the pipe band scene oh, online yeah. because we were no longer in the competition arena. Yeah. So if somebody posted up, <clears throat> you know, an excerpt of them playing. Mm -hmm. you, you suddenly found other pipers from competitive bands, competitor bands coming on saying, hey, that was great, I enjoyed that, you're playing great there. And That's so true, you, yeah. You, you've seen this um, more musical style of communication where, where mm. other musicians will listen to musicians rather than judge them or, or analyse their playing. And yeah. There was a great, a new level of camaraderie uh, that I've seen interband, which was really refreshing. Definitely, um, yeah. And and hats off to people like yourself, the Big Rab Show, Peter Woods, another guy who's got a great online show. That, like the Chins, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gave us something during the pandemic to to hang on to, you know, and, and say, yeah. Let, there's still a bit of piping chat going on here. Uh, let, let's listen into this. And I do, I mean, I don't hear them all, but I certainly listen into them. Sometimes I duck in and out during shows if I like the topical listening Aye. back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but it's great you can go back and hear it again you know in, in the, mm. the archives it's great to have that facility I'm a bit disappointed that the Pipe Band Association wasn't really geared up and ready for that and, and no. they, really, they really closed down and I think the biggest lesson from this is the Pipe Band Association need to be IT ready for the next pandemic if they're ever they say yeah. they'll be more coming the experts tell us this so that what should happen, I think, during a pandemic is we should suddenly turn the focus from contests to education, you know, and, and concerts or whatever and, and certification. Yes. So that really we should have been handing out certificates well in early over the, the, the lockdown period because we all say, I'm too busy competing. I've not got time to go and do that course. See, there uh, you go. Yeah. That, that <laughs> ticket to become a judge or be, become an instructor or SQE or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's the biggest lesson for the organisations. Uh, yeah. You see, if this happens again, as a business, we need to be ready. Mm. And Because the customers are sitting there hungry, they're looking for something. That's it, indeed, Roberts. Yeah. So, that, no, we've been doing what we can to try and keep the wheel turning. Uh, but as you say, you know, from an HQ, RSPBA level, there hasn't really been much in the way of, you know, promoting of the music and trying to push it out there online. So it's up to, you know, the bands and the players themselves to try and do this. So, yeah, I think you're quite right. You know, rolling forward into 2022, we're hoping to see a more tech savvy RSPBA running forward. I hope. That's the hope. <laughs> I certainly hope so. I think yeah. they're aware of that now. Uh, mm. But there's a, uh, there's a, the danger is that we were so relieved that the season's back, then we, we just 
slip back into the default positions thinking it'll not happen again. I think it's inevitable there will be other pandemics over the next 10, 20 years mm. and we we just need to be ready for that. For example, all the tuition needs to be in online modules, for example. They need to be... Yeah. Pursue that so they're ready for the next time so that you're, you, you still feel part of the community, you, st- you still feel part of the, the education system. Indeed. And hopefully some form of competition online competition. I know it's been talked about for pipe bands, but it's never really been done successfully. Because when you see some of the videos that some of the pipe bands have produced during the lockdown, they're fantastic. Not just musically fantastic, they're visually fantastic as well. Mm. And there's no reason why we cannot incorporate that into the final product of adjudication and say, hey, credit where credit's due. That, That tells a story visually and musically. Indeed, yeah. No, that that does definitely add another element to it. You know, as you're watching it as a fan, you're like, wow, there's drone footage and stuff and there's flyovers. It looks amazing. Yeah, for sure. So, hi, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see what the future brings for this incoming year. But uh, I wanted to bring it back to yourself and ask some more questions about you. And I have to, well, I'm going to blow your head up here, okay? I'm going to really stroke your ego, but I'm going to say that you are quite an inspirational figure in the piping scene, if you don't mind me saying one of the most successful pipe majors in all of piping history. And can I ask you then, a lot of people would look to you for inspiration for their own playing, you know, like, oh God, I want to play like Robert Matheson. But who does who do you look to for inspiration with your own playing? Um, I would say you categorise historical piping figures and, and outside piping as well in, in different mm. ways. I mean, there are... There are pipers and drummers who are great competitors. Yeah. And there are pipers and drummers who are great musicians. Yes. Uh, and there are pipers and drummers who are great technicians. I see, yeah. So, so I, I would analyse people and look to people for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You know? um, musically, I would look at some of the great bands over the years I, th- I consider to be great musically. The 78th Fraser Highlander is probably one that was a very strong influence on me when Bill Livingston had them. Uh, yes. Isaac and Donald in, in the 70s were mm-hmm. very, very musically powerful as well. Um, and go back further than that, the Red Hackle Pipe Band was a very musical band under Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, the Muirheads were fantastic in terms of the, the, the piping idiom uh, yeah. and the execution was, was brilliant. Strathclyde Police execution and actually Clodegg a style. Uh, yeah. They actually, their piping style was very, very cloned, quite compressed, probably over-compressed. If you were playing on your own, you wouldn't compress as much as that. But it gave that unison effect, which was very distinct and had a great tone. Did, you know, so yeah. so I, I looked at all these benchmarks of different people. Musically, I would look out with the piping scene to see if there's something I can collect. Um hmm. When I hear a tune being played and it's very emotive or, or very strong uh, in mm. terms of how it's delivered to the listener, and I try and analyse why is that strong? It's not just because the guy's a great player. It's not just because the guy's a great tone. It's emotionally strong. Yes. And, yes. and try and identify what that is and try and put that into your own playing. I see. Oh, that's incredible, and, yeah. So that, because <clears throat> especially nowadays, I think it's actually even more important nowadays. Mm. In my day, there wasn't an abundance of great technical players. I see. Uh, and so good tone and great technicians 
that was almost enough to get you in the prize list. I see. Uh, but yeah. now yeah. I, would, I would say technicians are ten a penny. Every youngster you meet can play fantastic. Even more, <laughs> yeah. Right? Tones become much more accessible, you mm. know, by the new gadgetry that's available, the, the consistency of bags, the reeds. G1's a company, for example, that's producing a chanter now, which sets up itself nearly, you know. You, Indeed. You, <laughs> you know, uh, so it, it, you don't need to be gifted to deliver a good tone. And, and, the, and the teaching system now will, will get you there in terms of the technical presentation. Mm. The one element that, that I think I would ask people to, to strive for is to listen to how, for example, somebody like Davy Spillane plays a slow air on the Ullian pipes. Yes. Oh. And, and, and listen to him. <laughs> listen, listen to him milk the money notes on it and how he folds <laughs> it and, 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 and delivers the, the tone in a more poetic way. He leans on it and you hear the overtones. That, that mm. kind of thing, which you cannot teach. That's something you feel when you play the pipes and something you deliver when you sing the song and the tune, you know. So mm. uh, that element is... is Nowadays, I think, is that the element that will separate you from that other great player or the line of great players that are about to come on and play after you. Yes, it's the emotion of it, Robert, putting that across. Yeah, yeah. And it's the performance factor. Mm. Yeah, indeed. The, and I think that's one of the difficult things about adjudication. Now, it's no longer good enough to do an audit-style adjudication where you tick off every part as it's completed and every Torluth and... You know, every yeah. swish rough and, and the clarity or evenness of the rules and all that. And you, mm-hmm. Once you've ticked it, it's very much an audit style of adjudication. Uh, yeah. The, the, the standard of players now actually demand more than that because they're all pretty good. You're splitting hairs when you're when you're judging on a, on a technical comparison, yes. and yeah. you're splitting hairs when you're judging on a tonal comparison often as well. Mm-hmm. So the music is is where you really have a task and uh, deciding. You know, is this music talking to me? Indeed, that's it, and it's on the music exactly, Robert. Yeah, when you're talking about that top level, for sure. So, can I ask them? Obviously, you've been in that top flight level for years and years. Can I ask them throughout all of your storied career in the piping scene? Has there been one moment that stands out to you as being your most memorable moment? Wow, that's a difficult <laughs> question. That. <laughs> I, I, I think if if you win the Grade One Worlds, that the first time, yeah, that, that has right. to be a, a unique feeling and and sense of relief. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's such a demanding journey that takes years of planning mm. and getting it wrong and back to the drawing board and trying again and improving and and then raising the, the actual personal time commitment from every player in the band. Indeed. Yeah. And and as the, the person in charge of the band, you're, you know, trying to motivate them to put all this time in um, for one one or two people to come along and say yes or no, you know, in terms of who's going yeah, to win. I know, um, yeah. <laughs> so, and then if they don't do it, it's very difficult. So the first time that you win the Worlds, it certainly stays with you because there's a relief valve <laughs> that goes at that point. Shh! <laughs> <laughs> it just and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and about two minutes after that, you realise there's only one direction you can go now. <laughs> you know, oh god, so, that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that is um, one of the big highlights. One of the other highlights would have been uh, I done, took on the North Lanarkshire Schools project and. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Ended up taking them onto the park at one of the majors in, in, in Inverness, and, and the kids won. And oh, brilliant! If you've ever seen an adult 
so excited at winning an office <laughs> 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 so that was a big highlight as well but but there are many um, mm. but I would say I remember the musical things more than the just the prizes I don't remember mm. I don't remember being second or third to anything and, or, or not getting a prize and there were many times yeah um, the community the pipe band and, and the friends that you make through it are there forever through the good times and the bad times so indeed yeah I wouldn't change anything no for sure <clears throat> so can, I don't know that's a quite an incredible answer thank you um, so can I ask then there's a question that we ask every single guest that comes on doesn't matter who they are so can I ask you, Robert Matheson, what is your favourite cheese? Well, it has to be Manchego goat's cheese. I'm in Fort Aventura. There are more Manchego. goats on the island than there are people, and the goat's cheese <laughs> from here is fantastic. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that. There you go. I'll have to look that up then, actually. There you go. That's an interesting answer. I didn't expect that. <laughs> So, well, before we let you go, I have to say a massive thank you for taking time to chat to us here on the Big Rab Show podcast. It's an absolute honour to have you on the show because I am a huge fan and I hope to have you back on a future episode with a bit of luck. <laughs> so, Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me on the show and congratulate you on the show and, and how it's taken us through. Oh, thank you. And I'm interested to see where it goes to the next level because now the, the, the online uh, shows piping and drumming are here to stay for sure and I look forward to it that's it indeed so with that in mind then returning for 2022 ourselves in the Big Rab Show have tons of plans we're going to try and cover everything that we possibly can can I ask them what does the future hold for yourself then for this incoming year well well I'm involved in the training of adjudicators a little bit we're trying to revamp that and hopefully take it online um, ah, if I yeah. can get the support from the association to do that. Hmm. Um, I'm looking forward just to hearing some live performances again. 100%. And, yeah. And <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to see how we, how quickly we get back to standard again. And a lot of people, I hear them saying, um, you know, it'll take a good few months, three months to get the band ready to where it was. I don't believe that for a minute. There are so many great players out there yeah. I think it will take 24 hours for the top bands to get back where they were. Yeah, and just hit the ground running. Yeah. The danger is they overcook it, you know, and, and get too excited. Is getting them ready and build them up gradually. I mean, because the people who've got in charge of these bands now can get a tone very quickly. The actual default position of each individual's instrument is far higher than it's ever been. Um, they carry a repertoire historically anyway, so it's just a matter of adding in a few new tunes and go back there and pressing the button and the new normal is here doing the business indeed i can't wait well before we go then we finalize everything for this week's episode you have been famously quoted in a previous interview that you did for the piper's persuasion and i'm going to quote it back to you just to see if you still believe that and uh that's very cryptic but what you said was is that success is when preparedness meets opportunity and you were talking about being prepared and that's how you get success so is that something that you still believe in and being prepared and practiced? Oh, absolutely. Preparation. I says, luck, good luck <laughs> is when preparation meets opportunity. There you go. Yeah. You don't get good luck if there's no preparation. No. <laughs> exactly. So I dare say there'll be a lot of folks listening to this right now who are 
busy in their practice and everything, waiting to get back onto the grass. So we hope that this week's episodes give you some encouragement. Keep up the great work, folks. Have working out there. And yeah, we can't wait to see us all back on the grass. Yeah. So, Robert, thank you so much for being on the show this week. Like I said, it's been an honor, and we hope to chat to you in a future show if you'll come back. <laughs> sure will. All the best. Indeed. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Oh, there you have it. Wow. Talk about a bucket list item right there. There you go. I still can't believe that I had the opportunity to talk to Pipe Major Rob Matheson. I'm still pinching myself. Wow. Yeah, so there you go, guys. I have to say a huge thank you to Pipe Major Robert Matheson for taking the time to chat to us here on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. And here, I hope to get him back on the show again for more conversational goodness in the near future with a bit of luck. But uh, yeah, I dare say we're all going to be a little busy now. Yeah, brand new year. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting into New Year's resolutions and all that nonsense, but... It is going to be quite a busy year for us here in the Big Rab Show, and we'll talk more about it on next week's podcast, no doubt. Uh, But, yeah, if you do want more information on what's going on behind the scenes and stuff with the show and what we have planned for this incoming year, then consider going over onto Patreon, clicking on that support button, and uh, and there's wee episodes of Rab Show Plus and stuff like that that's exclusive to Patreon subs that uh, give you guys a bit of a clue as to what's going on behind the scenes and what exactly we're working on. So, hmm... Let's just say we're not exactly sitting on our hands and doing nothing. But, uh, yeah, in fact, quite the opposite. (laughs) I think we probably deserved the break over the holidays. We've been frantically working ahead of ourselves. It's going to be quite a busy year in 2022. And I cannot wait to hit the grass again. It's going to be so, so good. And we hope you guys can join us, of course. Brand new year, new resolutions. Same old rab show, I suppose. Churning out the piping goodness. Well, there will be some tweaks, I suppose. There will be some new improvements and stuff. I'm sure you've noticed there already. Uh, But, yeah, no doubt. We hope you guys can join us over the course of the next year because it's going to be a very exciting year in the piping scene, for sure. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week and each and every week. And don't forget to tell your friends about our wee show, that weird little piping podcast that never stops each and every week. And, uh, yeah... (laughs) The normal service will resume again next week, I promise. Because all of us on the Big Rab Show team will be back to work again, doing what we can to produce the best possible content for you guys here on the pod and on Fuse FM and all of that stuff. So hoping you guys can join us over the course of the next year. It's going to be a good one. Well, until next week's episode, guys, we will see you all again. Until then, all the very best. Well, that's it for another Big Rab Show podcast. Thanks so much for downloading this week. And a special thank you to our sponsor, G1 Reads. Played by bands around the world, they are the champion's choice. Played by two-time world champions in Vararian District. Don't forget to check out thebigrabshow.com to be kept up to date with all the latest news and views from the piping world. And also check us out on Patreon. For five bucks a month, you can get your hands on tons of extra piping goodness and be part of the Patreon faithful. So until next week, guys, we'll see you right here on the Big Rab Show podcast. All the best. <laughs>